So what you want to do is spit on your fist beforehand, and then you have to mentally prepare yourself and say a prayer. Oh, hello! Welcome! (laughs) Welcome to the Cover to Queens podcast, coming to you live from... (laughs) Coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the TCQ Video Store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome back, fellow queerdos. I am a fucking mess. My name is Nicholas. (laughs) (laughs) Still half true. (laughs) And I'm Baba Shook. My name is Raymond. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to a brand new spanking month. Mm. Welcome to July. I feel like I need to put like fireworks and da 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 No, 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 no. Record scratch. Cut all that shit. I fucking hate July. It's hot as shit. Me too. I live in the valley. I live in LA where everybody buys illegal fireworks and like them all month long. So no, I hate also the fourth of july colonizers you know fuck the celebration yeah this great what? ass country but yeah, that's a exactly. different episode <laughs> look keep it light and fluffy <laughs> we just got back from vacay how was vacation oh. i was over there for a week vacation was great if you i mean i we call it was more of a vacation for you because you actually actually <laughs> like leave and go to another state it was more of a staycation for me uh, but it was a lot of fun. I'm I'm really happy we got to like reunite and have a good old gay time. Reunited and it and feels, it feels so, so good. good. <laughs> um, it was a it was a gay old time for it sure. Was a gay old time. Um, I had a couple of things in my back pocket that we got <laughs> to do, like shook by MHP Hunt, the Terror Market at Sugarmint Gallery, Mystic Museum slash Rack Video. It was action packed week, bitch. It really, really was. It was the ultimate queer horror like vacay. Mm-hmm. I was literally stoned from the minute I landed. Until literally up to the minute I left. I was so scared going through security. I'm like, they're gonna stop me. They're gonna fucking stop me. Please don't get me for a cavity search. Ooh. Oh no. (laughs) You're so fucked up. Fuck you. I had a great time. It was fantastic. I did get food poisoning, unfortunately. (laughs) I know. I was, I couldn't eat my favorite foods for like a good couple of days while I was out there, but I was not going to let it stop me from having a good time because you were right. That terror market at the Sugar Mint Gallery was amazing. Actually, let me correct you really quick. It was called a killer pop-up. My bad. A killer pop-up. I keep calling it a terror market because that was what the first... Uh, pop-up was called mm-hmm. that I went to. This one was called a killer pop-up and it was at the Sugar Mint Gallery. It was fan-freaking-tastic. I love any time we get to hang out with fellow weirdos, fellow people who are just as weirdly mm-hmm, obsessed mm-hmm, with things mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. are. Huge, amazing shout-out to Backstitch Bruja. I Oh my god, bitch. she turned my pussy out. Not only does she make the most amazing bags I've ever seen in my entire uh-huh. life, 
But she's an amazing woman. She had us laughing the entire time. So personable. So it was just, I had a great time. I get the, like the greatest energy from her and I will happily throw more of my money her way. Cause we bought that cute ass, cute ass gothic heart-shaped picnic basket. It's a black wicker basket in the mm -hmm. shape of that bitch. It fits a full bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was a selling point that she made and I live. That is literally, we got you guys to buy it. She was like, yeah, it comes with all the glassware. It's really cute. And then her friend was like, I put a full bottle of wine. She's like, bitch, you didn't think I didn't think of that? It was like, sold, easy. I also Ugh. bought her pumpkin TV bag. It is my biggest obsession right now. It fits my whole so life good. in there. It's amazing. It converts into a backpack. I loved you backstage, Bruja. I will gladly buy more stuff. When Hold on, you're selling it short. It's the TV from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And the static on it is- I know! It <laughs> even looks like it has static, bitch! She, I, we both are sucker for little details like that. So I live, we, all three of us, you, Richard, and I, spent way more money than we should have. Uh, but I highly recommend for anybody who's local here in LA to follow um, the Sugar Mint Gallery mm -hmm. on Instagram. They always have cool events like this. And granted, it was hot as shit that day. <laughs> the hottest fucking day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, everybody was really, everybody was really nice though that day. I didn't mm -hmm. have a bad experience at all. And even though it was hot, we got like in and out. <laughs> I think we probably spent like a total of like an hour, an hour and a half there, but. It was so worth it because besides going to all the pop-ups and seeing the amazing vendors, my favorite part about it is that you actually get to meet the vendors, the people who make mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. stuff. And I love it. I got some really great stuff from Craftsylvania. They're these amazing like vintage skeleton earrings from the old school like Cracker Jack toys. Loved it. But besides shopping, you get to actually go into the Sugar Mint Gallery. And while we were there, they had a new Dexter installation. It was mm -hmm. so cool to see everything. They're all it's right behind the actual Michael Myers house where they filmed in Pasadena. So I can't I cannot suggest it enough. It was literally the one of the highlights of my of the trip and flashback video. Uh hello Mystic <sighs> Museum. Been shopping with you guys since you had that small little house. Mm -hmm. on it's on Magnolia, right? Yeah, it's still Magnolia. Yeah, that's yeah, on Magnolia. And now they transfer to these giant three storefronts. This amazing installation of flashback video. We love to see it. I love to see the growth in it all. It's so oh, good. Amazing. So amazing. So good. I had a great time. And then we also did Shook um, by MHP Hunt and Twisted. Um, they had a pop up in LA with their collaboration and brought uh, queer icons from horror to life. And that was an amazing experience. They brought the Babadook. They brought Angela from uh, Sleepaway, Sleepaway Camp. Camp. Carrie. Carrie had a fantastic <sighs> finale. Carrie was scene. the highlight. She was Carrie literally was the highlight. I think I'm gonna post the video of us at the haunt on our Instagram at the Carpenter <laughs> Queens. Damn, look at that. I'm getting so good at that. At plugging it. I plug in it. Mm, we both know I'm good at that. Mm. But MHP Haunts totally rocked my shit. I didn't know what to expect. And that fucking Babadook at the beginning scare. So good. So Reading good. From the actual book and then getting scared by the Babadook was amazing. I almost shit my pants just because of the food poisoning. I wish it was. <laughs> 
I wish I would have recorded it from the beginning so I could have got all that because I didn't start recording until we got to the carry scene because I was gagged, gagged. I know I put that sound bite in there. But it was so good. So I started recording there and if you post, I'm be a little embarrassed because all you hear is me screaming, but it was so good. It was so good. It was so, so good. One last shout out before I fucking forget. Sweet D Edible fucking cocked <laughs> my shit. You ordered the brown butter chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. You ordered the mango lemonade. Mm-hmm. You also purchased the hot Cheeto bags, mm-hmm. which were double strength. And you also ordered those brownies. Salted caramel brownies. Oh, those were amazing. Those were really mm-hmm. good. I had to wait until my fucking food poisoning went away, but I immediately started downing that stuff. Those hot Cheetos, I could... Ex- you can't what you can't do this to people we ate those at i want to say i don't even remember i want to say maybe 8 or 9 p.m bitch i was still high when i woke up the next day (laughs) at like 10 Mm a.m excuse me what were they with the what type of strain it's like 1916 i think is the it was what they call their like double strength um brand and usually only i believe they only do it for the hot cheetos or like any of the sort of chips a bitch they knocked a bitch on her ass so fast and i loved every second thank you sweet d we're wishing you a recovery and we send you nothing but good goodness and light and love yes thank you for yes those amazing edibles are you ready for this week's movie i am actually kind of very very stoked i wasn't until i actually started watching it me too me too because <laughs> i forgot how hyped i was for this movie oh my god same <laughs> i i'm a huge fan of the original miniseries with tim curry so i was really excited that they were bringing it back like they were remaking it and andy muschietti was behind it and I don't know. I just had so much expectations. And for me, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get my review just yet, but yeah, like I said, uh, I was so hyped for it. I was so hyped for it. This was a summer blockbuster bitch the marketing and everything that led up until the movie's release. This was a blockbuster because they had put so much money into this movie. You're not, you're not wrong. They spent a shit ton of money on this movie and I can't wait to break all that down because this, this was like the start again of a Stephen King revival. Cause for a while there really wasn't a lot of Stephen King stuff moving around, but because of this, we immediately got that green light of Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. and I will not go into it because I have some very strong feelings about Pet Cemetery the remake. Oh wow. But Same. we also got like this, it's amazing. I love this, but welcome everybody to our summer blockbuster series featuring box office winners in the horror genre highlighting those wonderful popcorn flicks that are just a goddamn good time we start with it chapter one from 2017 directed by andy muschetti and the screenplay by chase palmer carrie fukunaga and gary duberman with the novel it is based on by the one and only stephen king when you're a kid, you think the universe revolves around you. You think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. Till it's too late. 
father thinks this town is cursed. That all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing. An evil thing. when another Georgie goes missing. Or one of us. Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we'll win. Currently, right now, you listeners, you can stream and watch this on HBO Max. Otherwise, you're going to have to purchase or rent this one. Highly suggest, though, the chapter one is mm-hmm. fantastic. Chapter one over chapter two, for sure. Oh, yeah, but we'll get into that later. Before <laughs> we get into that. 420, what you smoking? What did we pick on this week? I know we smoked a lot of the good stuff last week. I know. Actually, I still had two leftover uh, pre-rolls from one of the shops that I picked up from. Um, I forgot what it was, but I remember the Nug, or the brand was Nug. I want to say they were a Sativa hybrid. Mm, delicious. You got to have a little bit of an upper with this movie. For sure. Yeah, it's maybe mainly because it's long. It's a long it ass a movie. I think it technically might be our longest because Hereditary caps off at the two hour, like eight minute mark. This yeah, one this goes is like two, two hours, hours 15. Oh, what did you smoke? I smoked the very last of my stash. I need to go pick up. I've got <gasps> two nugs maybe left, so I need to go Oh, pick up no. Sure. I know, but the last of it was the Durban Poison that I still had. So it's a Sativa Hybrid, and I loved it. It's so good. To be honest, I was a little nervous. I was like, is this going to hit me as good as it did while I was in Cali? Because while we were in Cali, I shit you not, y'all. Like, the minute we got up, bowl, another bowl, next bus, no sleep, another bowl, <laughs> joint, blunt. No sleep. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> it really was though. Really there was, was not a moment that we did not smoke. Even when you were withering on the couch in pain because of the stomach cramps. I was, <laughs> I was over there packing another bowl. Then I had it to you and you'd be like, no, wait, maybe it'll help with the stomach cramps. <laughs> I remember when I was starting to feel the stomach cramps. I was like, Jackie, I think maybe we smoked too much. And then it was the food poisoning. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I know. I feel, I feel a little bit bad that you got food poisoning, but you powered through it. I didn't. I saw it a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of fantastic times, let's start this movie. It, chapter one, released September 8th, 2017, with a runtime of two hours and 15 minutes. Taglines. You'll float too. That was a really good Tim Curry version, actually. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's a good Thanks. one. <laughs> it takes many forms. What are you afraid of? Feed on your fear. I love I think. I, really? love, I, I, I love, think I do because your flight two is iconic. It mm-hmm. takes many forms. Is I mean, hello. If you've read the yeah. novel, you know what you're getting in for. What are you afraid of? I don't mind it. It reminds me of like um a tagline like for like horror nights. 
for Horror Nights or like a 1990s revive, like 1990s like kids scary TV show. Like, are you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel all that. I I agree. Why you didn't like them? I think I just love the first one. You'll float to the most. You'll float uh, too. I... You'll float too. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I think they're all solid taglines. Oh, no, not too bad, especially for something as iconic for like Stephen King. But Breakdown, directed by Andy Muschietti, who at the time I believe had only done Mama up until that point, if I'm not like completely wrong. I want to say he had done at least another film, if not another two films before this. Uh, but I'm looking at his IMDb right now, and it looks like Mama was the only one before that. Then it moved on really? to Chapter 2, and he's about to do The Flash for the 2022 version. He had directed the short, Mama. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. I find that so interesting that they were willing to go with Andy on this type of iconic... Series? Not series, but like content. Content. Thank you. Fucking A. I couldn't find the word. (laughs) So to giving it to this kind of first time director, but I think he fucking knocks it out of the park, to be quite honest. Yes, definitely. I think they definitely saw the potential in him because even though Mama wasn't a great movie the visuals and the world he created was stunning it so really i think i think they they had faith in him that he'd be able to take us into you know the world of pennywise so written by three credited screenwriters of chase palmer carrie fukunaga and gary Duberman. to be honest the script is one of the few things that i kind of have contention with because some but i do understand that trying to translate the 1100 oh fucking God, text is difficult so it's not going to be perfect 100 but i think they did a fairly good job with the source material especially mm. a very dense source material yeah they had a oh my god i can only imagine how many times they had to read that fucking book because you know well one silver was not enough oh absolutely um, not <laughs> you're doing things you're putting sticky notes <laughs> Three, three writers, and in my opinion, this is a solid script. I there was moments of like comedy, there was moments of horror, there was moments mm-hmm. of like tenderness. It's got it all. It really does, and I want to talk about that later because there is kind of a contention of does this belong in horror? But we'll talk about mm-hmm. that later once we actually get to the scary stuff. Uh, starring Jaden Martell as Bill Denborough, Jeremy Ray Taylor as Ben Hanscom. Sophia Lillis as Beverly Marsh, Finn Wolfhard as Richie Tozer, Chose Jacobs as Mike Hanlon, Jack Dylan Grazer as Eddie Kasprak, Wyatt Olaf as Stanley Uris, Nicholas Hamilton as Henry Bowers, and Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise the Dancing Clown. I think this cast is amazing. Mm-hmm. This cast was fantastic. I think this movie does so well because of them. For the most part, it was a cast of... I don't want to say nobodies, but of, of really not well-known actors. Yeah. So aside from Finn Wolfhard and Bill Skarsgård, a lot of these kids, this was their first time acting or they just didn't, obviously they're really young. So I just find it amazing. The performances that Andy Muschietti and everybody else was able to get out of these quite honestly, just children. They were children. They are and children. Fact, Apparently they were amazing professionals. I don't doubt it because the this movie's great and the acting and the performances that, they, that these kids give is amazing. But I agree with you in the unknowns. Bill Skarsgård was still, quite honestly, an unknown for me. I really didn't know him. I know he was related to the Alexander Skarsgård mm. and the Skarsgård acting people. Mm. Oh, I know. I wouldn't have picked him. I honestly don't know who I would have picked for a Pennywise. I don't have a perfect casting choice, but Hey, does he knock this shit out of the park? He's genuinely terrifying. 
he gives an amazing performance. And I remember feeling some type of way because to me, Tim Curry will always be the ultimate Pennywise. Um, but I will give Bill Skarsgård all the credit for jumping in there and fully just relieving himself over to the character and just like mm -hmm. giving his all because he really does give his all. Moving on to reviews. IMDb gave it a 7.3 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 69 out of 100. AV Club gave it a B. Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 86% on the tomato meter and an 84% audience score. That's pretty balanced. I've never really seen that where it's kind of even across yeah. the board. I heard an ah. Uh, no, right. no, because, well, because Metacritic only gave it a 69 and then IMDb gave it a 7.3. I guess 7.3 is pretty good. I would have given it at least an eight, in all honesty. Well, I guess we know where she's going towards this one today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a box office worldwide gross of seven hundred million dollars. Jesus. And the opening weekend came in at a staggering one hundred and twenty-three million. What the f this is when we say box office smash, we really fucking mean it with this movie. I remember this vividly. I remember the marketing was out that ass. Oh yeah, this. Warner Brothers. I saw billboards everywhere and i'm pretty hopefully you put it in the notes and we'll get to it but they even built something here in hollywood to promote it which is insane to begin this wonderful breakdown because this movie's fucking long y'all we gotta power through with an estimated budget of <laughs> with an estimated budget of 35 million this being the first feature film adaptation of it there was a lot of pressure riding on its shoulders this being the second adaptation the first being the 1990 cult classic made for tv miniseries starring tcq alumni tim curry mm. I, I feel like everybody is if you haven't seen it i don't blame you it's very long but the miniseries is kind of ingrained in everybody i was mm -hmm. terrified of tim curry's iteration it it still horrifies most Maybe people. <laughs> it's terrifying to say the least. And I grew up watching this. Like my family knows this movie by heart. And I don't know. So growing up with it, I was just really excited to see it uh, adapted for the big screen. Cause I'd only ever see, obviously it was a mini series. I'd only ever seen it on a TV screen. It kind of, it really deserved it, but I understand why people didn't touch it. This is some tense. This is some dense material that you're going to have to work mm -hmm, through. Mm -hmm. And I think they did it fairly well. So the main basis of the story is the story of seven childhood friends living Dairy, Maine, who have to face the terries of the entity only referred to as it or Pennywise, the dancing clown. So all of this is pretty much ingrained in the horror of pop culture. So the pressure to deliver the goods was immense. I remember mm -hmm. when it was greenlit, I remember hearing about it and just the pressure behind this was amazing. But did you have high expectations for this one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> high, highest of expectations. I, like I said, I adore the, the miniseries. I adore Tim Curry. And even though it's like really cheesy and campy at times, it was fucking 1990. Get over yourself, hey man. This man. Right. Do I look upset to you? I was so excited for it. Like I went and bought the book and I was reading it, bitch. Obviously, like I already stated, I still haven't finished it. But I was like determined. I remember your goal was to finish at least the childhood section by the time this one came out. And hopefully you were going to finish. Which I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finished the childhood section. I was already well into the second half of the movie when they're adults or the half of the book, I should say. Uh, anyways, it's I was really excited for it and I was like reading up on it. I wanted to go in knowing the full knowledge because I know that they were going to stay very true to the original source material with nods to the miniseries. With nods to the miniseries and 
the the text itself is so how do I describe it? Because King has a way of writing that reminds me of your general thought process if you're thinking to yourself, where mm-hmm. you can just fall into a memory and then fall into another story and then come back into your real world. That's kind of how Stephen King writes. So the text itself, both storylines are interwoven. The present, quote unquote, and what was originally said is the 1950s, 60s. 50s, I believe. One of those two set along those lines. So the fact that they were able to do this and separate it so well, I think is magnifique. But this Mm -hmm. particular project was in development since 2009. And the film went through like two main phases. So Warner Brothers would begin to grease the wheels and getting it off the ground. David Kajanek would take on the adaptation for the screenplay. Moving forward, it was reported that Kerry Fukunaga would come on board as director and would co-write the script with Chase Palmer. With this, Warner Brothers moved it over to their New Line Cinema Division production house. This was when it was also revealed that the story would be split up into two parts, a childhood-focused film and the 20-year-odd jump into their adulthood in the second film. Fukunaga would even cast Will Poulter as Pennywise in his version of Stephen King's novels. However, by May 2015, Fukunaga would drop out as director. Reported clashes between him and the studio would cause the rift. Not wanting to compromise on his vision and the budget cuts by New Line. All of it was changed after that. I really want to see Will Porter's like audition because Will Porter is a complete and odd wild choice for me as Pennywise. Rumor has it that this was going to be like a really weird different version of it. And I mean, any major studio was not going to be willing to take on this strange different iteration already strange and difficult like material so it really doesn't surprise me that they dropped them because by july of that same year it was announced that andy muschetti was in talks to direct and a new writer would come on to rewrite the scripts to better fit andy's direction and i think that makes total sense because apparently the old script which was supposed to be very good was really based and like felt around the original screenwriter's own childhood. So Mm. like his own memories were embedded into it. So I feel like if someone else were to take on that script, it would be completely different. So I'm really glad that they did that. That is, that is smart. I didn't think of that. With the new director and a new release window, a poultry would drop out due to scheduling conflicts. However, by June of 2016, Bill and Pennywise would be by Jaden Lieberman and Bill Skarsgård, respectively. Principal photography began in Toronto and occurred from June 27 to September 6, 2016. A majority of filming took place in Yonkers, New York and upstate New York. Port Hope was used by Third Act Productions for film interior and exterior scenes. Port Hope had undergone a transformation to become the haunted town of Derry, Maine. The municipal hall would become the Derry Public Library and an actual storefront was changed to the butcher shop. Even the Port Hope Capitol Theater changed to show Batman and Lethal Weapon. To fit like the 1988 and 1989. So cute. I it's love so that. It's so cute. They even do Nightmare on Elm Street 5 later on and it's, that's one of my least favorite. Oh, bitch. And they even have fucking movie posters. But it's just the fact cute. that they like went in so much to the details to change the marquees and all that is really cute. So I want to discuss the change from the original setting within the novel of like 1960s to 1980s. And I think it's so smart. I get people's like gripe because during 80s were coming back. There was Mm -hmm. this plethora again of 80s. So people kind of felt like it was a cop out. I very disagree because that means the 27 year jump to the present day would be now. And I think that was a perfect decision. So do I, not only that, but they, I don't know if they, I'm assuming that they went in with the planning because there was so much 
like had to be so how much, much the dates line, but how the dates lined up so well. It had also been 27 years since the original debut of the miniseries. So it just, it all clicked and it all made sense. So fuck you and your opinions. It made <laughs> great sense that it took place in the eighties. Plus that was a drag, fuck the gays. <laughs> <laughs> and so even though people were sick of the eighties because of Stranger Things, like get over yourself, Miss Ma'am. It's, this is also like not new because now 90s nostalgia is oh, becoming a I thing. Know. And early 2000s. Don't I get know. me started because it gives me I'm old. I beg your pardon. Moving on, costume designs were done by Jane Bryant, who would pull influences from the medieval, Renaissance, Elizabethan, and Victorian eras. They wanted to showcase that Pennywise had lived through these different times and was immortal. And I think this character design is. Stop it. Get some help. I honestly, and I may have some drags, I prefer it over the Tim Curry version. You need to leave! Because the Tim Curry version feels way too like... Beep beep on the clown, on the nose clown. Yeah, and I just feel like it was tired and true. This iteration, quite honestly, was a breath of fresh air until everybody started doing this fucking costume and makeup all over the place. But wanting to embed a childlike quality to Pennywise and making sure that the costume had a doll-like mood. Brian also wanting to pay closer attention to Stephen King's description in the novel, describing Pennywise as being in a silvery gray. Thus, Mm -hmm. this allowed the costuming to have a gray silk and dusky type of tone to it with splashes of orange for more color, like little tufts of orange that we get on the front of it. Bryant's manufacturer actually had to build 17 different clown costumes to accommodate all the amount of action going on in this film. I love, I love this design. I love this design. I'm a sucker for like a ruffle and the way that Bryant had designed the ruffle was way more bouncy and like flowy than it would have been normally during those time periods and I think Mm -hmm. it's an excellent choice because this version of Pennywise is so weirdly animalistic and like a child. Mm -hmm. It's very frightening. I had some opinions when I first saw the design of the costume and I think it's because like I said before Tim Curry's Pennywise is the ultimate for me that's what I always reference that's what I always picture as Pennywise so to come along and see it like almost a total 180 Mm -hmm. of Pennywise was like kind of like shock to my like it was like a gut punch almost. I was like, no, that's not Pennywise. Well, when one Supreme falls, another rises. Ah! <laughs> but it was, I, once I got, once, once I read into it, like what you just described, and I remember doing the research back then, it made a lot more sense as to why they went with this design. And once I started reading the book and I was like, oh, this is much more staying true to the original content and what Stephen King had wrote Pennywise to look like. And I really dig it. I, I fucking mm-hmm, dig it. Mm-hmm. There's like no other way to put it because it makes it or Pennywise or whatever you want to refer to the damn thing as way more magical and playful. The old design, it reminds me of just like Halloween Horror Nights of like, oh, look, it's a spooky clown. Yeah, uh-huh. This one kind of had more depth to it just from like the jump. And I think that's what I enjoyed a little bit more. So I will give that Pennywise the point. <laughs> Production design was handled by Claude Parry. Oh, Lord. Again, Claude had stated that the most important sets would be the 29 Nebolt Street House and the Sewers and Cistern. I think that's what it's called. I had to look. I had to look it up. It's essentially Pennywise's lair, but there's essentially okay. like caverns that have like water built in. Sure. Got it. Mm-hmm. 
The 29 Naples Street would pull influences from the Bates House in Psycho and the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. They wanted to create a visually strong house that felt in line with those films. The exterior was built in Oshawa. Oshawa. Wait, Oshawa. The exterior was built in Oshawa, Ontario, with the interior scenes being filmed in a former hospice building. However, six months after principal <laughs> photography, they would build the clown room on a soundstage at Pinewood Toronto Studios. Muschietti felt the Nebolt scene required more scares. The clown room would use real clowns, fake ones dressed as mannequins, even having real people. What? Yeah, it's apparently in some of the cuts, you should be able to see some people like wrestling, but I hate that clown room. That is so fucking genuinely scary. <laughs> I'm so immune to like clowns by this point because I, I, clowns are like the most, no shade, are the most common phobia. And so yeah. any horror event you go to is guaranteed to have at least one or two clowns there. Maybe seven. At least. For the cistern set, Paré originally wanted brick to line sewers to keep it historically accurate. This would be deemed too expensive, thus the team would go with formed concrete, which was formed from mixtures of planks and plywood sheets. Mm, we love a crafty queen. We love a crafty queen. So the last thing I want to talk about is <laughs> fucking marketing on this movie. This movie was everywhere. This movie was Literally. everywhere. I thought it was so interesting because this was the first time in a really, really long time and probably like the first time in my opinion that I've experienced everybody was ready for this horror movie. Everybody, even mm -hmm. people who didn't watch horror movies were ready for this movie. Because I feel like Stephen King really, what's the word I'm looking for, can rift into like different genres so easily. I think everybody was so excited to see it because it was a Stephen King, you know, movie, not movie, but it's based off of Stephen King's famous book. So I think everybody was just really hyped for it. And the marketing bitch was out the wazoo. Like here in Hollywood, they had built like a complete replica of the Neibolt Street house on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. It's not only is that a busy ass fucking intersection, bitch. It was a huge house they actually got to go into and it was an interactive kind of, I don't wanna call it a maze cause you were like guided through, but it was essentially yeah. like scenes from the movie and it was so dope. I didn't get to go experience it myself because they sold out quick and the standby lines were ridiculous and bitch, it was summer, so no. Oh, I know. And you really couldn't escape this movie because it was a hot topic. It was that fucking Spencer. Starbucks even had a drink called You'll Float Too. Shut up. No, we did it. It, this, it was everywhere. And I kind of loved it because horror movies never really get this much attention or like this marketing, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool to see even if like, I'm not, I, I'm not gatekeeping, but like now all of a sudden like, horror movies were in again and everybody was talking about it and all this other shit when like four months ago like you were making fun of me for my horror movie tattoos so it's just like i'm just a jaded nerd <laughs> she's bitter <laughs> ready to go to dairy main honey you've got a big storm coming go to commercial we're going to commercial <laughs> we'll be back after these messages everybody Welcome back to Ricky Lake. Today we're going to Derry, Maine in October of 1988. Bill Denborough helps his little brother Georgie make a paper sailboat, calling it the SS Georgie. And Georgie wants to go outside to sail it in the pouring rain, but unfortunately poor Bill is too sick to join him. I even like the line where it goes, 
I think I'm dying. He's like, you're not dying. Stupid little fucking shit. But the brothers hug before Georgie runs out to play. Georgie sails his boat down the street and he chases after it and accidentally runs into a roadblock. The boat sails to the end of the street until it falls into the sewer. Georgie runs to try and get it and worried that Bill will be mad. But as he looks into the sewer, a pair of yellow eyes emerge. They belong to an entity calling itself Pennywise, a dancing clown. Pennywise playfully speaks to Georgie before offering him his boat back. Georgie reaches for it only for Pennywise to grab his arm and sink his massive teeth into it. The creature rips off Georgie's arm and leaves him crying for Bill before dragging him down into the sewers, closing our opening scene. What an opening, bitch. They went in. Blew the miniseries opening out of the water. Because in all honesty, the miniseries opening is pretty horrifying on a much like more uh, like subtle tone. Yeah, subtle toned down way. Mm -hmm. This, however, goes for the jugular and even goes to like, goes on to depict the actual ripping off of Georgie's arm, which is only described in the book and not shown in the miniseries. They, They knew that, hey, this is an hard R movie. And Mm -hmm. this is a movie about a killer clown killing kids. So if we're going to kill these kids, we're going to fucking chop their arms off and rip them through the sewers. What I wasn't ready for was the full showcasing of Pennywise. Yes, we get shadow casting, but we get a fairly, fairly fantastic, great shot of Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. And I wasn't ready for them to give me the full reveal. I thought we were going to do that thing where it's like, we're going to build up to our Pennywise. No, Mm -hmm. they said, here is Pennywise. And what do you think of Bill Skarsgård's first like introduction? Amazing. He blew me out of the water. He gives this almost, like you mentioned before, this like childlike quality to Pennywise. And also like you mentioned this animalistic aspect to him where he's like drooling just as he's talking to Georgie. He can, and like, his eyes the do that separate thing, which apparently Bill can do just on command. Yeah, he can actually do that. Like that wasn't special effects or anything. And that was him doing that with his eyes, which is insane. I don't know, he brought a different aspect to Pennywise, which I really appreciated. What I really appreciated about it is that there is still this like weird evil innocence in his Pennywise depiction. Like there's this like childlike quality of like, I'm just playing, this is me playing with you guys, but it just happens and I'm gonna fucking eat your arm off. (laughs) Oh, but you wanna really fight. I love his visual, like not his visual. I love his vocal work in this movie so, so, so much because Mm -hmm. it is the strangest thing I've ever heard. And I love doing my own rendition of it. So sorry, everybody. I will be doing impressions tonight. I'm here all all week until Thursday. When doesn't she do impressions? (laughs) That's moving on. (laughs) Eight months later, June 1989, we meet Ben Hanlon, excuse me. We meet Mike Hanlon as his grandfather Leroy is making him kill a sheep with a nail gun. Leroy lectures a boy before doing the deed himself. There's two types of people, either the sheep or the ones who kill the sheep. Bye bye. Oh, wow. Ding! That was impression number one. (laughs) (laughs) It's the last day of school. Bill and his friend Richie Tozier, Eddie Kasprak, and Stanley Uris, who all form the Losers Club, are heading out to start their summer. Unfortunately, they run into the school's psychopathic bully Henry Bowers and his goons Patrick Hostetter, Victor Chris, and Belch Huggins. I love Belch. Me too! And Patrick Hostetter, this is his like debut as a character because he wasn't in the miniseries, but he's mentioned in the book. 
Bill tells Henry he sucks after he after the punk mocks his friends and Henry approaches Bill threateningly until he sees his father, Officer Powers, standing behind Bill. He walks away, but not before licking his palm and smearing it on Bill's face. First of all, that's disgusting. Second of all, it, ew. <laughs> I love the introduction of all these kids because this movie, I'm just going to dive in. It feels like a wonderful summer childhood movie that deals with deep horror aspects because mm -hmm. this movie is so grounded in reality that I love it. I love, I love their friendship. And and mm -hmm. uh, Finn Wolfhard fucking knocks it out of the park as Richie. He's so oh fucking God. annoying and hilarious. <laughs> so does uh, Jack Dylan Grazier as Eddie Hatchback. Eddie, I love Eddie. hilarious. I love that he, because in Eddie in the miniseries is very much this hypochondriac little nerd kid, like very geeky just very meek and and mild whereas um jack dylan grazier played him with a little bit more of an edge kind of updated him for like what this kid would be like today and it's hilarious these cat this cast of kids are freaking fantastic i also need to state that henry bowers just as a character it still scares me even along the lines of like pennywise it's him itself i mm -hmm. guess Henry is genuinely scary because I'm not gonna lie that like really bully white kid who's not afraid to like fuck up people of color has always terrified me and the fact that yeah. he's in this is even more genuinely terrifying. It's terrifying because like you said this is grounded in reality and the character of Henry Bowers is very much grounded in reality especially for us uh, queer folk we know that bully we know that fucking psychopath oh that yeah i know that bully hates you with the passion just because you're different i think that's why this this hits all the heartstrings because i think any person can identify with at least one of the members of the losers club and i think that's why it I, maybe that's why when you were talking about how stephen king can just translate so well to other genres mm -hmm. he's also so good at hitting that nerve of like a childhood memory or that idea of nostalgia that people just gravitate towards because it is so real and his writing's fantastic his writing is fantastic. I think people can relate so much to this movie and like it so much because at its core, it's a story of this like coming of age story for mm -hmm. these kids and how they come together and they find like solidarity in one another and form this group and help each other through these like trying times in life. Because in all honesty, all these kids have fucked up relationships with their parents. Horrible. And... I can't wait. To... We're going to talk about that. But <laughs> So like at the core of a lot of Stephen King's stories, it's always something that tugs at your heartstrings and it just happens to be layered with all these horror elements and that's why that's what makes it so good the horror elements play to the horrors of real life so when they're used they're shocking and stephen king mm -hmm. can describe some horrific shit y'all <laughs> wig okay uh, continuing on, a girl named Beverly Marsh is smoking in the bathroom. A group of mean girls led by Greta taunt her and accuse Bev of being a slut. One girl fills a trash bag full of water and dumps it on Bev, but she covers her head with her book bag. On her way out of the building, Beverly meets the new kid, Ben Hanscom. He gets picked on for being overweight and he doesn't have any friends. Bev signs his yearbook and she's her only, and he's, she's her Words. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Bev signs his yearbook and she is his only autograph in his book. And Ben quickly develops a crush on her. This whole interaction 
tugs at my heartstrings mm -hmm. and Ben is my favorite character all about of them and <sighs> Jeremy Ray Taylor you, you are so adorable you're mm -hmm. I just want to I just want to hug you <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cute moment first of all I feel for really Bev. bad for Bev yeah Bev gets the worst she really does get the worst in this movie um I don't want to touch on her home life just yet we'll get to it when we get to it but she's taunted by these girls at school for no reason and then she bumps into the new kid and they have like the sweetest exchange and he's wearing headphones and she asks him what he's listening <laughs> to he's listening to new kids on the block <laughs> It's my great. favorite I love is it. when he leaves. I love when she leaves. He's so cute. He's like, please don't go, girl. It's one of the, <laughs> one, of the it's one of the signs. <laughs> He's so cute. I immediately, I immediately care for him. Like it's instant. He's adorable, and I feel yeah. for him. I'm always the new kid. So the, look at him. He's so cute. Um, that's just goes to show, like it's good filmmaking. Like they're they're. Mm -hmm. they're Flushing out these characters so you sympathize so fast, with them. Mm -hmm. so quickly. When Bill gets home, his father Zach scolds him for creating a model with tubes of the sewer system in Derry, since he still believes that Georgie is only missing. Zach tells him to accept that Georgie's dead. He yells Jesus. it at him. He Forget does. It. It's Georgie's dead. He's dead. Like, hello, your child is grieving still. He's still trying to get over the fact that his little brother is is dead, and you're scolding him. Well, I think this comes down, and I want to talk about it throughout, but every single adult in Deary tries to block out Pennywise, it, the missing children. So I think this is just sort of playing on that. Also, mm -hmm. this idea of, like, no one believing children, I think, is a wonderful concept that Stephen King plays with in this one. Mm -hmm. But all these parents, is all I gotta say. <laughs> all these parents. Seriously. Mike goes to the butcher shop to make a delivery. Behind the door, around the alley, he hears what sounds like screaming and pounding. The door opens and several burnt hands are sticking out. Mike then sees Pennywise, but is nearly run over by the Bowers gang in a car, and Mike flees. This scene was very intense and pretty much scared the crap out of me because you start seeing all these singed hands coming out the side of the door, and you hear screaming, and you see smoke and embers, and then finally, like, you stop hearing it, and then the door just, like slams open and you just see Pennywise hanging in the like meat locker with the sides of beef and then you just see his like glowing yellow <gasps> eyes it's <laughs> a great visual if there's anything that Ma uh, Andy Muschietti and his DP are good at it's fucking visuals they are and fantastic. and then we're met with the real life horror of racism, racism? <laughs> yes like where Henry Bowers rolls up with in his little with his friends in his car and tells him to stay the fuck out of his town and throws a lit cigarette at him. He said, I fucking hate Henry, but that's a sign of a good uh, fucking villain. But mm -hmm. Mike and Beverly, in my opinion, have the hardest storylines because we hear later on why Mike is seeing all of these burnt hands mm -hmm. and this poor kid having to go through this. I can only imagine in 1980 as a young black kid growing up in this all white town. So that also within it itself, like this Stephen King is so fantastic at layering real horrors with it because the majority of the time it only pops up when they're actually facing these terrors in real life because mm -hmm. Pennywise feeds off of that fear and that terror so it just sucks that every time every fucking time <laughs> <laughs> that they get like these horrible atrocities happening in their life Pennywise is like you want to be even more scared kids seriously <laughs> ooh I smell fear let's season you up some more ooh this is my shit 
<laughs> Stan is at the synagogue studying for his bar mitzvah. There is a painting in the rabbi's office that creeps him out, showing a woman with a distorted face. The painting falls, and when Stan picks it up, the woman is gone. He turns around, and it manifests itself as a woman with a thanked smile, and Stan just fucking books it. <laughs> Rightfully so. The only smart thing done in this movie. I hate the crooked lady. She's horrifying. And I feel like everybody can relate to this fear because everybody's had this fear at some point in their lives, whether it was at your house, your grandmother's house, your great grandmother's house, your aunt's house. At church, there is always some scary, realistic painting that you don't want to see. Church has uh, Catholic churches. Let me correct myself. Mm-hmm. Catholic churches have some wicked imagery that they showcase children, and we're the bad ones for influencing kids. Y'all can go fuck yourselves. <laughs> but apparently, this this painting design was kind of taken from Andy Muschietti's childhood and his own fear of a painting in his in his childhood home. And I love when directors or writers embed that stuff because it always lends itself really well. I do have one complaint. I don't like how much CGI is used on this character uh, it really me pulls me out of it it really pulls me out of it and that's one of my biggest complaints about chapter two there is so much fucking cgi in chapter two it's all cgi bitch it's all cgi bitch and in this one like this is one of my biggest complaints just because we are practical queens we love practical effects and this movie has quite a bit of them yeah and i think the cga that is used is used uh, it's okay. It's there. It's, 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 she's there. It's still a bit much, in all honesty. Especially this design, because apparently she had a full creature design that the CGI effects went in, and then all of a sudden she was completely just like changed to a CGI creature. So, like, I, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. But then we move on to Ben. Ben is at the library looking up Derry's history. From a series of articles, he learns that children in Derry have been disappearing under mysterious circumstances for literally centuries. And the book contains a depiction of Pennywise and a missing boy's head in a tree. Ben is then lured into the basement where he sees the headless boy before getting chased out by Pennywise. And this is one of my favorite set set pieces. I love the set piece because we've both talked about our love for public libraries so this one is only <laughs> fitting for both of us i love this scene i especially love this scene because it's it's littered with these subtleties with this creepy ass librarian who's creepy as shit and staring at ben from the background and then the singular red balloon that trails through the library the red balloon is beautifully used in this movie as a motif. And I mm-hmm. like its use of the balloons here than in the miniseries more so than anything, because it's, how can you make a red balloon so scary? Like it's, I know. <laughs> it's so good. It's so well done. And I love the like small chase scene that we get down in like, I don't know what we call them, like catacombs of the library. In the basement, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Cause it's horrifying. He gets chased around by this headless boy with rotting, uh, Easter eggs that then transforms into Pennywise so this is another part of debate from a lot of people is that they really don't like the jerkiness and the special mm-hmm. effect that's given from Pennywise I don't think it takes away I don't mind it I think it's fine I don't think it like detracts from the effect because it kind of like heightens the chase a little bit for me but I think yeah. the structure of the chasing itself is pretty well done I don't I, I think it's fun I think the problem is that they use the same like motion that they use for it for every chasing with Pennywise. They slap that filter on there. You're so very, very right. People just got sick of seeing it. It is totally that like Vine TikTok like filter where it just like sticks on your face, but everything else is moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
On his way home, Ben is attacked by the Bowers gang. Henry's goons hold him against the bridge railing. Patrick wants to burn Ben with the lighter and bug spray, but Henry- Like Michael Jackson. <gasps> oh my God, Jackie, too soon. He says that. That's literally Patrick's line. He's like, I'm going to burn him like Michael Jackson in the Pepsi commercial. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. He's been dead for years. I know. I was just fucking around. Uh, but Henry plans to carve his name into Ben's stomach. An old couple drives by and sees us, but does nothing. It's implied that it is there with the presence of a red balloon. Henry only cuts an H into Ben's stomach before he kicks him in the nuts and rolls over the bridge into the woods. Meanwhile, the losers are near the sewers as Bill's convinced his friends to help him find Georgie. Ben falls into the water near them. The boys grab him and bring him uh, bring him to safety. Beginning of the scene is very unsettling. It's so unsettling. This scene and the gay bashing scene in the book are two oh, of my no. least favorite chapters. It genuinely fucking freaks me out. This is so hard to watch because in this scene, Nicholas Hamilton goes fucking in on the psycho white kid trope. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but it's it it's uh, it, it's really hard to watch. And it's also really hard to watch when the car scene rolls by. I'm going to take it that it's in its influence for like the adults not getting involved. But I've been in a situation where that's kind of very relatable, where you're asking for help in a very dangerous situation and no one reaches. So this mm -hmm. is chilling. And I like, it's, uh, it's so rough. It's so difficult. It is because it's very realistic in, yeah. in our opinion, because I think we both lived through the situation. This very much happens in real life where you see these things going on and nobody does anything. Or these days they fucking pull out their phones and start recording just so they can post it to the Twitter later and be like, oh, look. Ugh, that was so, very so chilling. See? That was so chilling. And like, it's, it's a great scene, just to say the least. Because we get Henry in his wild rage just trying to essentially murder Henry. And even Belch is like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? But yeah. when he drops his knife, I was not expecting the moment of insecurity and fear when he loses his dad's knife. That took me back. That was wild. And I wasn't expecting that character beat to happen so quickly, so fast, and so effectively. Because you instantly understand, oh, this kid's terrified of his dad. He's bullied by his dad just the mm -hmm. same way. And you got that just by a knife. Like, that's crazy. That's good writing and good acting, Mama. Check, check, and check, check. Patrick runs into the sewers to try and get Ben, but splitting from his friends. He encounters demonic looking children that make him run, but he comes across a dead end and a bunch of red balloons appear before him. And I love that they state, I love Deary. And then they <laughs> pop to reveal Pennywise who promptly devours Patrick. I think it's cool. because, Like you said, Patrick's only really mentioned in the book and he's never even seen in the miniseries. So it's nice mm -hmm. that we get this. I just think the death's a little weak. That's it. The death is weak. I like the scene. The scene is great. And the, the build up. Beautiful. Uh-huh. And the build up to the kill is great. But Patrick was just like another body to add to the list. I mean, hey. Uh, the boys go to the pharmacy to get cotton balls and bandages, but they are short on money. Beverly is there buying tampons when she butt runs into the boys. <laughs> After hearing the problem, Bev returns to flirt with the pharmacist, Mr. Keen, to distract him. Ugh, I know. So he comes gross. Up as he comes off as a creep to her, but she manages to distract him long enough for the boys to steal their supplies and for her to sneak away with some cigarettes. Bev goes outside and joins the boys when she sees the boys are tending to Ben. This is a great scene. I love that this is the kind of turning point where Bev joins the uh, Losers Club. 
this is just adding another layer to that something's not right in Derry and that all the adults here are seriously f***ed. Um, because- <laughs> They are seriously <laughs> Because Bev effortlessly, granted, I feel like this can be done in any situation these days, um, but Bev effortless, effortlessly goes up to the pharmacist and flirts with them and of course Ugh. disgustingly goes oh, along yeah. with it oh, and flirts yeah. with her. She even manages to like take the glasses off his face and try them on. Well, she's like, you look like Clark Kent. And when she puts them on, he's <laughs> like, well, you could be my lowest lane. I'm like, you're fucking disgusting. But uh, 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 yeah. I, I love the kids' interactions though, because... We're getting the sense of that Beverly's becoming into her womanhood, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this showcasing of like childhood into adolescence. Poor awkward girl has to go get these tampons that she doesn't know what fucking size to get, and then of course she runs. Into, and then of course she runs into the boys. <laughs> like, of course this happens. It, it, it's so good at capturing like childhood innocence and hilarity that just kind of happens out of it. But yeah. like Ben develops a crush on Bev. We get our classic slow mo super beautifully lit shot mm-hmm. even though that we do get uh doesn't she i think she drops another new kids on the block line uh-huh, and it's, uh-huh. I, that's so cool i love i love that they have this little inside and what's where i'm looking for inside, inside joke? secret inside joke thank you i love that they already have this like little inside joke and if you pay closely enough attention you can catch a little cameo from Pennywise on the mural behind them in the alleyway, which is, I think, super dope because there's all these little nods and references to Tim Curry's Pennywise. It's mentioned again later on in the movie and just all these nods to the miniseries and overall, and I fucking live for that shit. Like, they were catering to the nerds. Oh, this movie is for the nerds about the nerds, and it's beautiful. But Beverly goes home to her father, who is an even bigger creep than Mr. Keen. Uh, Fair warning, I guess. Uh, spoiler and just an advisory warning. We are also going to still be talking about the unfortunate racism that does follow Deary. So we're going to be talking about, unfortunately, incestual relationships and sexual assault, essentially, especially one on a minor. But when we continue on, Mr. Keen, he comes onto his daughter, causing her to run into the bathroom crying because he keeps stating very very fucking creepily are you still my little girl when he mm-hmm. sees what he has in her tampons and he even states that he likes her hair long because that's his little girl and she immediately then proceeds to cut off her hair into a shorter length getting the hair down the drain and all those other things that'll come into play but this is a difficult scene and it gets even more difficult later on mm-hmm. that they are not afraid to understand the source material and go there with the source material and i have to give Stephen bogart uh his credit it's terrifying he's terrifying as his father mm-hmm. and i hate watching it and i get the ickiest feeling every time i watch the scene which just goes to show like they made a great movie and that the actors did like they gave their performance because honestly like they sell it for me it's totally it believable it makes like you said it makes you feel some type of way and it makes me feel very uncomfortable and it really adds another layer to both of their characters Oh, God, it just, I don't even want to talk about the scene anymore. The boys, now joined by Ben, are at the quarry, ready to jump into the lake, but no one is eager to go first. We also get some more wonderful Eddie Richie shit. They're sh- uh-huh. them hogging loogies. See, no, that that was it. What do you mean that was it? It's about the mass. It's like I, if it's green or slimy. <laughs> I feel like all this was ad-libbed, and I love oh, yes. it. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes. A lot of Richie and Eddie's stuff was ad-libbed. And these kids are fucking geniuses. Mm-hmm. Half of the shit that comes out of Richie's mouth is fantastic. But Bev shows up and she jumps first, leading the other boys to jump. We even get the what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> from Richie. They have fun while swimming and hanging out. And it's a really adorable scene. Uh, later on, Ben tells everyone of what he's been reading up on, on Derry's history. And the rates are wild. Who would stay in Derry? Apparently the... N- rate of missing people is three times the national average and it's even worse for kids so Uh everyone is aware of this history now that's fucked up i would move to Derry, maine hello no fucking kids i'm there 100 percent. you're so stupid (laughs) i will live i will live next to a killer clown as long as there's no kids around you're awful you're fucking awful (laughs) but yeah it's wild like all the history that they dive into Eddie is walking home when he passes the abandoned house on Nebel Street. He is suddenly attacked by a leper, causing Eddie to run through the house's yard. As he reaches the fence, he sees Pennywise trying to lure him toward him. Eddie runs under the fence and escapes. This scene is disgusting and horrifying. And the makeup and the character that they character work that they did for the leper, phenomenal. Phenomenal. I wasn't ready for them to give us scares during the daytime, so I was taken aback when I was like, there's sun out. No, what are you doing? Like, you, you can't do this. You are not safe. You are not safe any time of the day. But Pennywise is like, this is when we first get a full actual showcase of Pennywise. He's a, mm-hmm. Pennywise has always been in the shadows. He's a, we either get a face and like half a face or whatever. This one, we get him in full daylight holding that ridiculous pyramid of oh regalia mama (laughs) category is killer clowns killer clowns on the runway (laughs) i will Um, gag if nina bonita have you seen the video of nina bonita yes yes i have her fucking life to penny it's i love this scene i think it's a wonderful showcasing of him i'm sure eddie shit his pants because i would have shit my pants after i saw all that Mm-hmm. This is a great mm-hmm. reveal, and I love that um, when Eddie gets away, you just hear all the balloons pop, and you turn around uh, and he's gone. Uh, it's, uh. But moving on, Bev is in her room with a postcard with a poem written on it by a secret admirer that she'd found in her backpack. She thinks it's from Bill, but it's actually technically written from Ben that he wrote at the library. Your hair is winter fire, January embers. My hair, my heart burns there too. It's so cute. A kid wrote this? Like, oh my god. (laughs) It's really cute. I love it. She's immediately smitten. I would have too. Who would it be? Oh, I know. slipped a love note into my bag, bitch. I would have melted into a And it's well written. It's not like, uh, I have a locket of your hair and like, around my neck. I hope I can see you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Roses are red, violets are blue. Fuck my pussy with the rake, mom. (laughs) (laughs) You're fucking gross. But Bev hears voices of children coming from her sink. When she looks in where the voices are, her clumps of hair start reaching out and grab her before a fountain of blood gushes forth from the sink, coating the entire bathroom. Mr. Marsh comes in to see Bev horrified, but he cannot see any of the blood. He simply comments that her hair makes her look like a boy. What a... F- um... Do you see the Evil Dead influences? Because I see the Evil Dead influences. I see the Evil Dead and the Nightmare on Elm Street re- uh, references. That's all I get from the scene, and I love it. The amount of blood that they use is ridiculous, and then they freaking 
overdo that in the second one with Jessica Chastain and all that blood. I hope this wasn't actually the poor little actress having to get all of that blood shot right up. Imagine having fake blood shot up your nose like that. I'm sure she got like little nose plugs or something. For the band. For the the band. band. A gig is a gig is a gig is a gig gig foreshadowing i I think this is uh, i uh, i don't like this scene because it creeps me out hair and drain already freak me out and i make john clean it out of the shower every time because i will not touch it and then you add in the blood aspects like Stephen king (laughs) it's just it's too much and this isn't even like the most fearful part that keeps going it keeps going every fucking time But Bill is walking around the house when he sees what looks like Georgie running around. Shocked, he follows Georgie into the basement, which is flooding. Georgie steps out and invites Bill to join him, saying, We all float down here. You'll float too. And he replies, You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. Until he yells and decomposes. Pennywise then emerges from the water and tries to get Bill, but he runs out of the basement. This was all over every fucking marketing. So you knew this was coming, but it's yeah. still scary, bitch. It's it is because scary. they only showed you the first like five seconds of it. And so when the scene kept going and and uh, what's his name, George, he just kept going on and his voice got significantly worse and more scary. And then you realize that Pennywise is just like puppeteering him. And Which then just that, terrifying. just that creepy like <laughs> like exorcist walk out of the water it's horrifying what kills me about that scene is that yes he has georgie up as like a marionette doll but he just slams that little fucking kid straight into the water and just rushes at bill and i'm not supposed to laugh but that shit killed me it was, like, it was hilarious kid. to be honest and then what's cool is like uh he misses bill and he like misses him so he sinks his like teeth into the stairs and then when he misses he like uh, slithers yeah he just like slithers back into the water and he's like fuck i'm gonna get that little shit i'm gonna get you little fucking shit (laughs) it's 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 good and any any time with georgie is so fucking good i can't wait to talk about the last part because i was shooketh but the next Mm -hmm. day the kids are riding their bikes when they see mike's bike and the bowers gang's car quickly they deduce that something's not right. So they go down to the creek to find the punks harassing Mike for just being black. Bev throws a rock at Henry's head, which initiates a rock war <laughs> between both the groups. And I think it's so cute, but I, I know it's not supposed to be cute because this bully's fucking horrible, but it's it's summer. It's a childhood summer thing. I think that's what Not only that, but they like layer this like metal music over it and the shots and the cuts. It, it made it, it made it really fun. Whether it was not supposed to be fun or not, I had a blast watching <laughs> it. Uh, Mike runs over to the lo- loser side while Vic and Belch run away as Henry is knocked unconscious. And thank fucking God, they finally smacked that little shit. I was so happy when Bev threw that rock. Is this the part where they're beating up Mike and he looks across the way and he sees Pennywise? Or is it that is this exact scene? So this part I was not expecting. This part was really good because before the loser club gets there, um, Henry. Henry Bowers and his goons are beating up on Mike. And from Mike's point of view, he looks across the quarry and he can see Pennywise like gnawing on an ar- a human arm. <laughs> and then he just like uses a wave. wave. <laughs> One of the most memorable moments. I know. It's so creepy, though, because it's like a kid eating spaghetti. Like, hi, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like we said, like Pennywise has this very childlike quality in this movie. 
Uh, so now we have Mike joining the kids, and as the kids walk away with Mike, Bill mentions what he saw in the house. Eddie backs him up on seeing Pennywise as well. Mike mentions what he saw and talks about how his old house was burnt down by racist assholes, and his parents died trying to break the door down to his room, with their skin having melted to the bone. I think it's far more effective in telling than showing in this part, because this just... It hurts. It hurts a lot with Mike and Bev, their two storylines. These kids go through some shit and Mm -hmm. Pennywise really plays on that. And then it makes light of what you saw earlier. So it's, it doesn't shy away from the realities of it all, but I don't like that they just mention it and like not really being able to dive deep on Mike's character. Cause Mike's character, in my opinion, is one of like, least utilized in this mm-hmm. this series and mike's character and what he goes through in my opinion is a little bit far more interesting than like beep beep georgie or stanley's <laughs> like painting and stuff yeah so i feel like that was a missed opportunity because bev and mike's characters i care most about oh and ben but that's just because i love ben Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Richie's also, uh, Richie's the only one that hasn't been hunted, but he admits to being terrified of clowns and he gets one of the best lines of. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to mention it. <laughs> Can only virgins see this shit? <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love Richie's one liners. It's so good. Uh, the kids go to Bill's garage where they overlook a map of dairy through a projector. They see that the sewers are all linked to the Neibolt house where it lives. The projector then starts working itself, showing pictures of Bill and Georgie with their parents, but with Pennywise's face appearing over their mothers. They knock the projector over, but it keeps playing until Pennywise fully emerges from the screen and tries to get the kids. They manage to get out of the garage before he can harm them. This scene- Bitch! Bitch! I I damn near jumped out of my chair because I wasn't expecting it. It's not in the book. It wasn't in the mini series. This is totally all creative, all them, and it's one of the best scenes, one of the best scares in my that opinion. Part. Yes, it is one of the most effective scares because no one was ready for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because so the scene is so well done because it starts it's off built really so well. Yeah, so they're set up really serious. They're like, so they're really working. They're like, oh look. This is how the tunnel, this is how the sewers are about, you know, they're doing work. And then all of a sudden they kept going through the slides and then all of a sudden they got to a picture of uh, Georgie and their family. And it became like somewhat of a tender moment. And then all of a sudden the projector kept moving and it kept moving and it was showing different pictures at first. And then it turned back around and it went to the same scene, to the same picture. And that picture just keeps going closer and closer with each slide. It zooms in closer to the mother's face. And then slowly, but surely the mother's hair keeps moving and the red hair turns into Pennywise's hair. And then you slowly start to reveal his face and finally they're getting sick of it. So they knock that projector over and they think it's over until the projector turns back on and Pennywise is gone. And then one more slide hits, and then all of a sudden Pennywise takes up the entire screen. Bitch. And it's like a giant Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. Yes. Is Pennywise. I was not ready because we kind of knew of the changing sequence scene from the trailer. Mm-hmm. I hate love trailers. Like, it's a love hate. I know. That scene, you're right, it's built beautifully that tension is disgusting just you describing it i sat here just like not ready (laughs) for the it reveal that reveal is it bitch pun intended because that shit was so good you and me both i jumped the fuck out of my chair when that happened and of course once they open up the garage pennywise is gone but bitch like no just no like that is just great 
solid scare. And if they ever built like a real like haunted house, like walkthrough attraction, that would have to be one of them. Like that had to be one of the scenes to do. It's it's beautiful. And I love that they put it in there. Put your stank on it, you know? Mm-hmm. The losers go to the Kneebolt house to face it head on. Bill, Richie, and Eddie enter the house while the others stay outside as lookouts. I also have to mention, I love that part where Stanley's like, oh, someone should come out as a lookout. Who wants to stay out as lookout? Everybody fucking raises their <laughs> hand except for Bev. It's so cute. This movie is embedded with such great moments of comedy that breaks mm -hmm. the tension that it just, it's so, it's so good. Which I think really helps separate it from the miniseries because the miniseries yeah. was drama and horror drama, horror. There was no, there was zero comedic relief in that one, which I'm not hating on because I love the miniseries, but this yeah. one was able to really embed some really hilarious moments, but still balance itself out with these really heavy topics of what Ben went through and what um, Bev, Bev and went through, Mike through. and so Mike, yeah. You're, you're totally right. And I can see why that's not people's cup of tea because what that comedy does is that it transforms this movie from a horror movie, which people really wanted and what was sold as to a beautiful loving story of a summertime childhood from childhood to adolescence. Mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. comedy really grounds itself in that. And I think that's why I adore this movie so much because this just feels like Stand By Me with a scary killer clown. Absolutely. Also, like, sprinkled in with, like, aspects of, like, Goonies. Oh, yes. For sure. Goonies. Mm -hmm. um, the, the creature, some of the creature designs feel like the thing. Like, this movie just feels like a giant love letter to both 80s, to horror nostalgia, but just, like, to those childhood feelings of, like, realizing you're growing up with your friends, but trying to hold on to that magic of childhood. And that's mm -hmm. what this movie really is. And I think that it's just so good. It's just so good. And I think that's one of the reasons why, cause you brought it up earlier. So like you thought it kind of strange that they gave such a huge project to Andy mm -hmm. Muschietti when he only had mama under his belt for real. But I think, like I said earlier, they really saw the potential in Andy because of his ability to put the audience in the perspective of the child. And he really can put this childlike quality into movies because he did it in Mama. And I think that's what really resonated with producers or whoever hired him because they saw that ability for him to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Translate that. Like to... resonate with the child characters because let's face it, most like, I want to say like 99% of the audience who went to go see this was adults. Maybe a couple teens, but no kids went to go see this. So you have to- Better make sure fucking not. Don't you dare bring your kids into <laughs> so a fucking horror movie. So has to be able to relate to these characters. It's kind of hard for like a fucking 30 year old to relate to a 12 year old, but- You're so fucking right. Oh my God, this is like blowing my brain out of the water. <laughs> what did you see this movie with? Because when I went, I went with legitimate, a group of like eight people, people that I've never gone to movies with, like one person I've gone to movies with, but this movie just fucking hit a chord with the generation of people that knew this movie, that knew this feeling, and Andy did it so fucking well. I gotta give him credit. Mm -hmm. I, I went and saw it with Richard, so of course he was super into it, and we geeked out the entire time. Oh, by the way, I was so stoned out of my fucking gourd when I went to go see this movie. All eight of us got in the wrong line for the candy machine, and we waited oh for 15 my minutes until one of us Stupid. So stupid. It was a, a great time. Once they're inside, Richie sees a missing poster of himself and freaks the fuck out. But Bill reminds him that it's not real. Eddie gets separated from his friends when Pennywise finds him. He falls through the door and lands in the kitchen, breaking his 
fucking arm. Bill and Richie try to reach him through three doors. The first door, they open, revealing a headless girl, which I believe is... Betty Ripsom. Betty Ripsom, who also has a scare earlier on when they get when they get there. The second door traps Richie inside with a room full of clown dolls, and he sees a coffin with a dummy of himself inside of it. He quickly shuts it, and Pennywise jumps out, gives our classic... Beep, beep, Richie. He tries to attack Richie, but he runs out of the room and Pennywise returns his attention to Eddie. But Bill and Richie get to him before the clown eats him and Beverly then quickly shows up to drive a spear through Pennywise's head, forcing him to retreat. And that is a quick rundown because this this scene is so well built. I keep mm-hmm. talking about the building of scenes and I don't think we can sit, like stress that enough because we did Night Run Elm Street 2 last, last week. And that movie had no idea how to structure shit. Nope. It had no idea. But with this one, you're already terrified of this house. You already know you shouldn't be in this house. So that's an added layer. And then once they all start getting separated, Richie, once he gets separated, he's attacked by the leper again. And once he falls through, I have Richie. to- Oh, sorry, Eddie. Eddie. When it's, Eddie is attacked by, they all have very similar concepts. <laughs> yeah. Clap if you care. Clap if you, clap if you care. When Eddie is attacked with a leper and he breaks his arm, at, at I always do that <gasps> look away thing whenever like an arm is broken. It and it's just like this. It's like <laughs> is he, is he you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good. Apparently, this is the first time that Eddie's actor. I can't remember his name right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Matt mm-hmm. Bill Skarsgård for the first time because yes. they tried to separate them as much as possible. This was all of their first time meeting them, meeting him. So uh, during production, th- most of the time movies are not filmed in sequence, and so this this was their first time meeting Bill Skarsgård in full Pennywise makeup and regalia, if you will. Um, so they kept them separate up until this point, and they literally like didn't see him face to face until Andy Muschietti was like, "Action!" So that way they could get genuine reactions from these kids. And I live for it because these kids look genuinely horrified. I wouldn't be surprised if they shit their pants. I would have shit my pants. I would have shit my pants immediately because once they all get separated, Billy and Richie do their thing and Richie goes into the fucking clown room. I don't like the clown room. It both feels like a Saw Lost tape and like a Stephen <laughs> King like fever dream. So it mixes really well. I think yeah. it's really- but my favorite gag is the not scary, scary, very scary doors. Yeah, the doors. It's so a beautiful cute. visual. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Also, there was a nod, another little nod to Tim Curry's Pennywise in the clown room. There's like a little Pennywise doll to the left that kind of looks like him. I don't know. The scene, the scene for me was okay. The whole scene overall is great. The clown room's not my favorite. I can uh, see that. Not, be, not because it, it's bad or anything. It's just not my favorite thing. Um, but I do like when we finally get downstairs and we meet up with Eddie and he's got his broken arm and Pennywise in his magnificent reveal comes out of the refrigerator all circus shit <laughs> and comes like rolling out and he goes up to Eddie and essentially taunts him so that we can like Eddie like the more scared Eddie is the more appetizing it is for it and so he's just like sitting trying to scare the shit out he's drooling by this point when Bill and Richie finally come downstairs to save Eddie. Two favorite aspects. When Pennywise is torturing Eddie <laughs> and he's trying to scare him, he grabs his arm and he does a, ah, I'm not gonna bite. Ah, but I am gonna bite. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. It's so fucking funny. It's like a 10 year old teasing his brother. But then we also get, because multiple times when Richie was freaking out, Bill kept stating, none of this is real. None of this is real. So it Ooh. all can't be real. But Pennywise gives the most 
terrifying line of am i not real enough bill i was real enough for georgie and then attacks bitch do Boom. you want a spoon and for all this shit is. you're stirring like bitch bitch pennywise is that bitch she is not afraid to say what needs to be said i said what i said and then Bev gives him the good one-two inside the face with an iron ore, but not before it, it slashes that fucking hen, uh, what's his name, Ben? Bill. He slashes at, no, Ben's stomach and yeah. just gives him another gash. And I know. I feel so bad for Ben. This poor kid just can't, there like. scars all over his stomach. I know. And then, of course, everyone retreats. Immediately, once they retreat, Eddie's mom forbid, like, magically pops up and forbids the losers from hanging out with him after she sees his broken arm and before Richie takes Eddie's arm and cracks it into place. <laughs> I hate those scenes. Uh, Bill and Richie then get into a fight when Richie says that the whole pursuit of Georgie has nearly gotten them killed. Bill gives Richie a good old whack in the face and the losers part ways as the other boys are too terrified to keep going this is of course our all is lost moment and yeah. it's it sucks it really sucks like you feel for these kids you don't want them i to mean richie's not wrong he almost did get them all killed looking for his dead little brother uh, but uh, let's call it spade a spade mama it's too real <laughs> <laughs> but you know this is a, a what's a, a turning point in the movie and so they're not friends anymore and time passes and we get this little montage and it's now august and the kids have continued going about their lives. Eddie goes to the pharmacy to pick up his asthma medication only for Greta, who works behind the counter, to tell him that they're placebos. And then she writes loser on his arm cast. So this little bitch is the same little bitch that was uh, bullying This bitch is the same Beth. little bitch that was a bitch to Beth. <laughs> exactly, she's a bitch. And she is I'm, a bitch. Sure she, I'm sure she's a great person in real life in the movie, she's a bitch. Can smell the blood in the water, essentially, when she sees oh, Eddie know. waiting at the counter as her dad, the pharmacist, who's the CEO, the inventor of Toaster Strudel. Shut the goes, fuck up. And so she goes over and she starts giving Eddie a hard time for no reason, asking why nobody signed his cast and da 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 da. And then she goes on to tell him, like, you know what your medication is, right? The placebos. And he goes, well, what's, what are placebos? They're bullshit. They don't do nothing. <laughs> I was like, girl, like, fuck, you're going to tell him Santa's not real, too? Shit. Fucking for real. We did not really mention, and I want to talk about it, because we talked about all the parents in this fucking town are shitty, horrible people. Eddie's mom, we didn't really talk about. Eddie's mom scares the fucking crap out of me. She is scary. She reminds me of that lady that was caught like making her child sick, so that way she can (gasps) keep getting like the makeup. She does kind of look like her so scary my least favorite is when she's sitting on the couch the first time we meet her she's like don't forget to stay off the grass especially if it's been cut you know your allergies and she's just sitting there sweaty and like creepily looking at the kids she's like ah you forgot something and eddie has to go give her a kiss and then richie's like do you want a kiss for me too (laughs) mrs k (laughs) and then she's always like wearing a like tracksuit track suit and I was like bitch we all know you ain't running anywhere <laughs> I was not ready I was not ready for that one Henry is with Vic and Belch shooting things with his dad's gun he orders Belch to bring him a cat to shoot but 
Officer Bowers shows up to take the gun from Henry. He then shoots the ground around Henry C to humiliate him in front of his friends and expose him as a coward. Later, Henry sees a red balloon on his mailbox. Inside is a knife sent by it. He that goes inside. Oh yes, it's the knife he lost while he was trying to slice and dice Ben. He goes inside as his father's asleep with the TV on. On the screen appears a woman with children, all urging, all urging Henry to kill his father. He does so Cannon. by sticking the knife against his Cannon. neck and letting him bleed out. Cannon. The kids on TV, all of its victims, by the way, then start chanting, Kill them all! Kill them all! Kill them all! This scene, this scene, this scene, this scene, is this scene. Honey, this scene. All right, the scene! But is it fashion? It's, it's, but is it? <laughs> it's I, so well done. This kid, this, Nicholas Hamilton, like, I expect to see you in movies later on, like, really crushing it. Because this scene for Henry, when he fucking just, dude, fully cracks, is fucking beautifully acted. I hate his dad. His dad is terrifying. Shooting at his son like that is just beyond terrifying. But my favorite part, easily is this TV show and this lady and the kill them all sequence. Uh-huh. I think it's so fucking cool. That's all it's I know about so it. Good. It's so fucking cool. Essentially, yeah, that's what it boils down to. It's a really well played out scene. I'll say that. It is. I think it's a neat concepts that they brought in. I thought the television aspect was cool. The, uh, like, essentially what we do, like that cable television bullshit that he pays attention to. Like, it's, it's great. I think it's well-structured. I love when it shows up in the audience and he's just smiling, doing his uh-huh. weird drooly thing. The Marsh House, Beverly's dad, attempts to act upon his lust towards his daughter, calling him his little girl, and it's just too much. She fights him off and runs into the bathroom after kicking him in the fucking nards. When Mr. Marsh gets there, Bev whacks him across the face with the toilet lid, knocking him unconscious. Just as she's about to leave, Pennywise finds her and takes her by the neck and we cut to the next scene. This scene is incredibly difficult and I think it's the cold summation of all of the horrible like sexual tension that we felt thus far between this mm-hmm. father. And it is so gratifying to see Bev fight back. It is, it's a very uncomfortable scene to, to watch to say the least. But it's like you said, it's very gratifying to see her finally reach her breaking point and to literally smack her father over the head with a ceramic toilet lid, Jesus. She breaks that sucker too. She does not hold back. Good, good, Bev. fucking lucky he didn't die. Bill goes by Bev's house and sees her father lying unconscious in a pool of blood in the bathroom and sees, you'll die if you try, written on the wall in blood. He realizes Bev has been taken by it, so he goes to make amends with his friends to rescue her. When they get to Eddie, his mom forbids him from leaving and joining his friends, but he defies her when he confronts her over the gazebos. He ditches her and joins his friends. I love that scene! It's my favorite, favorite fucking line in this whole movie. Because we also get a reveal of his cast that said loser, and they write he writes over it with the red lettering that makes it into lover. I uh-huh. think it's the cutest. My sister has it tattooed on her, and I love it. I think it's adorable. But this fucking scene kills me every time. Please, mom. They're gazebos, mom. <laughs> it's such a kid, a kid move, like a kid thing to say, like trying to be serious and totally fucking up in the process. It's so fucking cute. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> the boys go to the Nebo house and find a well where it dwells. In the deleted scene, we have 
Henry waiting in the car watching the kids, and I wish they could have included this, but we mm -hmm. also find out that Belch and that other blonde kid were murdered <laughs> by Henry in the car, which just creates this whole new psychopath for Henry, which is more talked about in the in the sequel, but I have feelings. Right. I kind of wish they would have left that in there too. I don't know why they cut that out. Maybe I think it's I think it's an excellent showcase of his character and it it, it really like it's a disservice to him that they didn't put it in there. Yeah, because I think it show it definitely just what's the word I'm looking at? like cements the idea that he's kind of gone off the rails by this point that he killed his own goons. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so once at the Neba house, they find the entrance for it, which is essentially just a wall that goes into the sewer system. They climb down a rope, but before Mike can head down, Henry shows up and attacks him. He goes full psycho serial killer. He starts pulling the rope up to prevent the boys from climbing back down, and Henry tries to kill Mike with the nail gun that Mike brought along to fight it. But Mike fights him off and manages to push him hardcore down the well, sending him to his apparent death. Of course, he comes back in the sequel, but I wish that little shit had died. I think that gun is wild. I could never imagine killing an animal with that gun. That weird, like, yeah, I don't know what it is. Shit. Yeah, it's like a screw or a bolt, something. It looks horrifying, to be quite honest. And it's also used in the movie No Country for Old Men, I believe. Oh yeah, he uses that as the pressure thing in my body. It's horrifying. Uh huh. Horrifying. I hate that movie, by the way, just because I hate that character. He's hard uh, and that bowl cut, bitch. It's awful. Oh, right. No, giving us Velma Kelly. Ah! But this scene was really great. I loved um, Henry Bauer trying to come in and be all psychotic and Mike giving him his final fucking comeuppance. And I'm glad that it was Mike that got to push him down that well. Me too, because that was another gratifying thing. It's I, I, I appreciate these these kids finally facing their actual demons to fight mm -hmm. this demon in order to get there. So I think it's really cool. But Henry, I don't know if it was scripted or not, but Henry, when he comes in, he just keeps going, ah, bah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not okay. It's just not okay. Because he knows exactly what that gun is used for. Oh, wait, that, what fucking creepy white kid? Anyway, going further into the well, Stan is attacked by it as the woman from the painting. She munches on his head, literally, <laughs> but the boys scare it away and com comfort a mortified and terrified Stan. Uh, poor Stan was like got separated at some point and this is what happened. Can you imagine laying on that floor, having the teeth just sunk into the side of your face and looking into its Ooh. like, right? Dead lights. <laughs> I feel so bad for Stan because this is what affects his character when we come back 27 oh, years later? No, no. So what happens when you don't deal with uh, childhood trauma? Unrepressed trauma comes back, y'all. All the boys head further into the well where they find its lair. All the children he's taken are floating up into the deadlights under some kind of trance, which gave, which gave whole new meaning to the phrase, you'll float too. Because prior to this, the, the, we all just assumed that the floating men about balloons or whatever the case. And the sewers. We never, yeah, we never had any sort of visual as to what you'll float to meant until this chapter, which I love. I love, love, love the visual of all these, as morbid as it is, all these dead children corpses, corpse eye, whatever. I love floating dead children. The aesthetic <laughs> it gives. <laughs> uh, it was great anyways. And they added it in specifically for this movie. This is Andy Muschietti's like initial concept and forgot that it actually wasn't part of the book because it feels like something Stephen King would have put into his novel. Mm -hmm. No, this is totally their little creative touch, which I 
thoroughly enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoyed all their um, interpretations of famous lines and famous concepts from the original book mm-hmm. and the miniseries. So Bev wakes up, and when she awakens in the sewer, we get the most gifable moment from <laughs> Senor Pennywise. What do you, what would you call that? It's like a circus cart, right? Yeah, like, it's like well, old school circus cart. Like when you would see the circus coming to town, mm-hmm. this was like one of the like little trolleys or whatever bringing everything in. And it pops open to a really fucking cool set design of, I can mm-hmm. only describe it as like clouds in hell. This is like the only way <laughs> to describe it. But we get Penny, this, I'm going to try and find a sound snippet. I'll put it here of like the eeriest circus creepy music playing. And then all of a sudden Penny, I got to stand up and do it. Pennywise does <laughs> the, uh, the Pennywise hoe down of. It's <laughs> <laughs> a horrible hoe down, by the way. <laughs> and he charges at her and it's. I wasn't expecting it. I think it's hilarious and still chill-inducing. It goes on for a solid like minute, I want to say, <laughs> where he's just like, hoeing down. Getting his shit. Hoeing down. Hands on my knees and can ask him a thought shit. Hands on my knees and can ask him It's very that. And then like it just like pushes in closer and closer and closer. Get the until, shit again. Yeah. Once he approaches Bev, Bev gives the, I'm not scared of you. And which is just a badass line within itself. And then we get, I think, is this really like our kind of first depiction of the deadlights? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It opens its insane layers of teeth mouth to showcase how deep it goes. And then three, hey. <laughs> and then three lights appear out of its mouth that puts Bev into a trance. And it's, it's cool. This is all I got for it. It's fucking cool. Not trance isn't trance music, but trance is in a trance state of mind. The boys find <laughs> Bev floating. They pull her down. water, you asshole. <laughs> the boys find Bev floating and they pull her down and Ben kisses her to break her out of the trance. Bill then sees Georgie emerge from the shadows and Georgie tells Bill he missed him and waiting for him to come for him. Bill hugs his brother, but he knows it's not really Georgie and he shoots him in the head. Jeez, pause. Christ. Pause. Big pause. Because I thought he actually killed Georgie for legitimate three seconds. It was like, maybe like Georgie was alive because he shoots Georgie in the head and Georgie doesn't change for a good two seconds. And it's just this dead kid's body laying on the floor. I was not ready. Like this, like I have to hold my boobs over here because I was not, I was, I was like, oh my God, did they just make it where Bill killed Georgie? That's some fucked up shit. No, that would have been diverged. That would have been like, totally divergent of the path yeah like not saying uh wow i think i got too high before this episode i can't talk (laughs) no i can't think of it (laughs) his buddy rithers on the ground until he turns into pennywise the clown tries to kill the kids but they fight him off until he has his hold on bill pennywise gives the others the option to die together or leave him with just bill bill tells them to run but richie is the first to fight back the kids start beating the crap out of Pennywise until he is powerless and unable to hurt them because they no longer fear him. Before Bill can strike the fatal blow to the clown's cracking spell, Pennywise retreats into the darkness and thus escapes. The kidnapped children then float downward. Bill then finds Georgie's raincoat. He realizes that Georgie is truly gone. Bill breaks down in tears and as his friends gather around him and hug him. I think this is an excellent final setting 
final scene, final comeuppets, because it consistently transforms into all of the fears of the children. We got two mm-hmm. really cool nods. We got the cool tarantula fucking thing from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And then we also get the mummy that attacks Ben that's technically from the novel. Mm-hmm. It, like, I think it's so... I love any scenes where the heroes rise up. I'm a sucker. Like, I'm a sucker for that trope. And just yeah. beat the fucking shit out of Pennywise. These kids do not hold up. At one point, and it's very important because it is something that we talk about in the main series and in the main novel, but Bill holds the gun up to Pennywise's head and Mike even states that it's empty, but Bill, using his imagination, shoots Pennywise in the head, thus actually affecting him, which I think is just this cool lending of Pennywise survives off of these children's imaginations and fear. And when they start no longer fearing him and believing they can defeat him, he's quickly like disposed of. And I Mm -hmm. think that's such a cool showcase of just like childhood to adulthood and facing your shit. But it's like in this movie, I like it more than I did in the miniseries. Because in the miniseries, I feel like it's very played hokey pokey magic. Yeah. While in this one, there's just that real understanding of these kids are growing up and Pennywise is the monster that they're finally putting away. Mm -hmm. I think because in the film, it's much more fleshed out. You get much more backstory to these characters. You really understand where they're coming from. And granted, a lot of this is touched on in the miniseries, like Bev's horrible relationship with her father, Eddie's Mm -hmm. horrible relationship with his mother. But I, I don't feel like they're quite as graphic as they get in the film. And so maybe that's why it didn't really translate well in the miniseries, but I agree 100% in the film. It goes above and beyond my expectations. And I love this. I feel like this is like a solid, like overcoming moment for the heroes against the villain. Especially when Bev kind of gives the final blow to Pennywise when he transforms into her father's head and without fucking hesitating like the bad bitch she is mm-hmm. knocks that motherfucker in the face and it's it's wonderful I also love Richie when uh, I was gonna say Bill Skarsgård when Pennywise is like I'll leave you alone if you just let me have this one and Richie starts like naming off you got us hurt we had to go through all this <laughs> shit and now I'm gonna kick the shit out of this fucking clown. Like, it's so great. I lo- I think this is a wonderful, excellent ending. And Pennywise's last word, as he's literally disintegrating into ashes, is fear. <laughs> and, then he- <laughs> and then he goes away. It's, it's so cool, because it's like all of a sudden his character feels fear for the first time after he's been inducing it for so long. So I think it's fucking cool. I just think it's fucked up. I've used that word so many times on this episode in particular, but I really don't have any other way to describe it except that it's well done, cool, and just the acting is, it, it's above where most horror movies are and where I want most horror movies to stay. Mm-hmm. And for and for using a cast of almost entirely of children actors, that's insane to get this great of a performance. Well, thanks to it has to be thanks to Andy Muschietti. You have to be able to work with your actors to get these performances, and he knew how to do it very well. Well, yeah, like in I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but like in the the weeks, if not months, leading up to production, he had a group chat for all the kids together, and they were all texting each other and constantly hung out with each other so they could build a rapport prior to production. Not only that, he had sent them Spotify play, well, uh, maybe just playlists in general, sent them playlists of music that was relevant to the 80s. Uh, films to watch that were relevant, like not only in the 80s, but to the film itself that they were making themselves. So he had 
like built these kids up and made sure they had developed a relationship prior to the production. And it really, in my opinion, really, really shows on the screen. Sometime after, the losers swear a blood oath to return to Darien 27 years should Pennywise return. They hang out for a while after having this quick blood swapping circle, which is... They hang out for a while until each of them gradually leaves with only Bill and Bev to stay behind. She states that she's going to move to Portland with her aunt. As she walks away, Bill realizes this is his last chance and he runs up to her and they have a final kiss. With Bev leaving and Bill staying, it is the end of chapter one. And I think this is so beautifully shot. I love the lighting and the color tone that they pick for this. It's so sweet and childlike, even though I would never fucking do a blood oath. Y'all got me fucking tripping if you think I'm doing a blood oath. No, that is so not sanitary. I would never. No, ma'am. Um, Seems questionable to me. But I agree, this is a solid ending and it follows very much in the footsteps of the miniseries and of the book. And this movie needs to be done in two chapters because it's too fucking long. Yeah, this was a two hour, 15 minute trek. I will say that, well, let's get to our final feelings. How do you feel about this two hour, 15 movie trek? It was great in honesty. And in my opinion, it didn't really drag. No, um, I felt like didn't. every every beat was like, on schedule, like it really didn't drag at any point for me. Um, I really have very little like to gripe over with this first chapter. It was all solid for me. I loved all the performances. I loved the music, I loved the set design, the costumes, everything, mm -hmm. everything, everything. I have to give it chapter one, a four out of five. Yes! <laughs> yes! Yes, 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 yes. I will state the same thing about the timing because Sometimes in movies, some scenes are unnecessary. In this movie, I felt like n every scene was important. Every scene was well-structured. We knew where we were going. I feel like where the script kind of lags is where there's moments, like Mike, where there's moments that are revealed that are very interesting and I would love more of, but we don't go there. And it mm -hmm. could also be because of the runtime. We're we're sitting here and saying this movie is very fucking long. And <laughs> it is. But for me, it kind of brushes by. It feels like a summer vacation to me. That is the best way I can describe this movie. It feels like an actual summer vacation with your friends. I agree. I love the sets. I love the costuming. I love the, the, the design. The acting, acting for me will always heighten any horror movie for me. It's why Hereditary mm -hmm. is so high up there for me. My biggest gripes are the CGI. And like- Oh the, yeah. The, the, a lot of the use of the CGI, some of the jerkiness it could be used one or two times less. And I wanted more development of characters that deserve to be more developed. But you're, you're right. This is a fantastic first film. There was so much leading up to this movie. And I really think that they knocked it out of the park and then some. Because you had a lot of people who have a lot of feelings about this series. Oh, yeah. So I, I think they did great. I'm also going to give it a four out of five. Because this is, this is just a fucking good feel good movie like i love the nostalgia and the warm fuzzy feelings you get after being scared shitless yeah and uh, i don't know i feel, just feel like this was like a long time coming for them to finally remake it yeah because this it, the miniseries came out what 1990 it had been so long since anybody had even touched that cat mm -hmm. that subject matter at all and so to finally get a reboot and for it to be as amazing as it is was so gratifying and that's why i was so excited to see chapter two until it came out boom and there it is there 
There we go. And then you were sorely disappointed. I'm gonna touch on it Severely. really quick because I don't. I really don't know if we're ever gonna do. No, I don't want to cover chapter two. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will say my favorite parts for Eddie and Richie. I thought they casted them so fucking great. Bill Hader is my favorite part of it. Chapter two. For me, chapter two feels like an Avenger movie with like four ah! elements. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know what they sold it as. I love the opening scene with the gay bashing scene. I it's horrible as that sounds, but it's only because that part of the book stuck with me so much because mm-hmm. I'm over queer. And I think that depiction should be showcased more. And the fact that it's used in a horror movie is really neat. Go mm-hmm. go horror movies talking about bad stuff. But God damn, the CGI was bad. Some of the acting was bad. Some of a the lot acting, of the acting was bad. The directions were just not it. The script was super wonky compared to the first one because it felt like they cared so much about the kids and the storyline in the first one. They just felt like, okay, we got to finish this now. Uh-huh. Is kind of what I got from it. I'll give I, my grading now. It's a two. It's a two out of five. That's totally fair. <laughs> I I agree 100% where my favorite part about the movie was the opening scene. And funny enough, the opening scene for It Chapter 1 is actually the opening chapter for It Chapter 1 of the actual book. Um, so I was actually really, as you said, like it's really fucked up thing to say that we we're really happy to see it on screen. But to people, like I think for us, it's important for people to see that that gay bashing and that homophobia are still very much a rampant part of our society um so seeing this like gay bashing scene at the beginning of this horror movie was another in my opinion great opening because it was really a a a shock to my gut and and, like a punch to my gut and a shock to my system yeah Yeah. and then it just kind of went downhill from there it really did (laughs) if the high point of your film is a gay bashing we got problems mama so i'm gonna go ahead and agree and say that actually i give it a one out of five because that movie was so long it was so long so jackie long. and it was very long it was probably just as long as chapter one but at least chapter one had a good pace and it was good and it was fun part two it all went out the door mama like i don't know if they just i don't know if they thought because if they were bringing in adult actors who had experience that they didn't need to put as much pre-production or thought behind the process but it shows it shows that they didn't put as much love and care into chapter two as they did chapter one yeah it felt like they got more money and that's it like that's about it but i will leave on a good note i love it chapter one Mm, i highly mm -hmm. suggest it to anyone i think it's i honestly think as fucked up as it is this is a great gateway horror movie for me because of the childhood aspects i feel like it feels like a goonies movie that has some really fucked up scary shit Mm -hmm. so i feel like if you have like a 15 or 16 year old who's like wanting to dip their toe into horror this is probably the best one to show them because it is very terrifying and it is rated r and i do understand that the main basis is these kids in this storyline and that's why Mm -hmm. it's so it's so effective it's just too effective and it's also not like nail biting edge of your seat horrifying Unless you're scared um, of clowns, but that's a different situation. Ooh, yeah. Don't, I mean, if you're scared of clowns, don't, see this don't watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I feel like this is a pretty good gateway movie for people to like really dip their toe into horror. So this was our first on our blockbuster lineup. Would you like to tell everybody what we're doing for next week's blockbuster? Absolutely. As soon as I open my notes and I read what we're doing next week. <laughs> All right, y'all, are y'all ready for the Carpenter Queen's set foot into the infamous cinematic world of Ed and Lorraine Warren? Queerdos, we are entering the haunted cinematic world 
started by James Wan in The Conjuring from 2013. <laughs> I'm so excited. Bitch. I am so excited. We have mentioned James Wan and The Conjuring Universe multiple times on this podcast. I'm so hyped to talk about this shit. I'm this so excited. This was the one that started it all, honey. This was this... the one that started it. I'm just gonna give a quick like precursor to next week's episode because this movie still horrifies me till this day. It's one of the few uh, contemporary horror movies that genuinely scare me, except for this last one in the installment. We'll but, talk about uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> but this first one is a great, great, great first movie in the series. And it sets up this whole, it sets, it's the foundation on which this entire cinematic universe was built. So you know it's going to be good. I'm so hyped. I'm so excited, y'all. We hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode, but if you'd like to keep up with us, follow us on our Instagram at TheCarpenterQueens. Our Twitter is at CarpenterQueens. Please, please leave a review, rate, comment. It is extremely helpful for us. If you'd like to follow me personally, because I am the shit, I am at Nicholas Alexander Photography. And I will always be that bitch. You can follow me at STFU Ray. Please rate <laughs> us a five-star rating because we are five-star bitches. But that wow, concludes wow. this week's episode, guys. Y'all, god damn it, shit. I was doing so good. <laughs> goddamn, <laughs> goddamn shit. Shit, goddamn. That wraps up this week's episode, y'all. Please catch us on the flip side. And until next week, bye, 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 bye. Bye, Georgie. <laughs> <laughs>